Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, Worldwide Edition. Our post-Nitro bonus show where we dive into the dirt sheets and check out the other channels we round out the week in wrestling that was Monday, December 2nd to Sunday, December 8th, 1996. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, it's my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? I'm doing good. Um... Last few days, I have not gotten a lot of sleep because I actually have a sick kitty at my place, um, which has resulted in, like, most nights getting, like, two or three hours of sleep. Yeah. So, pretty tired. But um, also, I've been a little bit um, tuned out to just wrestling in general for the last, like, week or so. So, sure. this is uh, the thing that's nice about the podcast is it kind of gets me plugged back in again. So, um, it'll be, it'll be nice to kind of like get myself reacquainted with everything that's going on before we get to the next nitro. Well, that's uh good to hear. Uh, th- I, I'm dying. I told you before we started yep. recording, I'm pretty sure. So I, this is the final episode. <laughs> I'm either having mild stomach upset or heat stroke that will kill me in my sleep. One of the two, uh, we had set up this deal to record and, and I, uh, assumed that you were out in Wisconsin, which was dumb because I know that we're actually hanging out tomorrow night. I should have thought that you were here in Minneapolis, but I assume that we were recording remotely. So I'm drenched in sweat. I'm barely dressed. I'm in a tank top and gym shorts. Uh, and then you said you were coming over and I was like, Oh fuck, I don't have any time to <laughs> make any of this presentable. Uh, like I was, I was almost going to cancel and I was like, well, he's not even coming over. It'll be fine. <laughs> so right. here we are. I'm dying at least, at least this way. If I die, there'll be someone to hear, my final words. Um, I'll try to make them good. You know, uh, yeah, be, um, for, couldn't you wait until like after tomorrow to die and see Orange Cassidy again? I mean, I would love to see Orange Cassidy again before I die, or maybe well, I could see him while I die. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, we're going to an indie show tomorrow. That's gonna be fun. Um, what else was I about to say though? Oh yeah, uh, so last words. It just made me remember something. Do you know what? Um, do you know what Walt Disney's last words were? Um. Yeah, it was like Kurt Russell. Yes, <laughs> I remember. I, I remember. That story. I remember hearing that, and it's like the best part is like no one has any clue. Yeah, probably just a synapse in his brain firing in a weird way, like completely meaningless. But people probably puzzled over that for like decades. He probably wanted one of his uh, uh, secretaries to confirm that he was not Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is, of course, one of our bonus episodes where we follow our Nitro reviews with a a kind of a companion piece that looks over everything else that happened in the week of wrestling that that Nitro aired. So, of course, this is the companion to episode 64 in which we reviewed the December 2nd, 1996 episode of Nitro. Now, before we move on to everything else that happened in wrestling that uh, I was going to say autumn week because that's what's just kind of in my template of notes right now, but I probably should change it to winter. Yeah, uh, December. Is, yeah. yeah, we are well into winter by <laughs> December 2nd. Uh, I do want to remind you before we get into it that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail 
dot com. Uh, speaking of our email, I do want to thank a listener here, and I'm talking slowly as I scroll through my phone to find his name, Bob Tucker. Bob Tucker. Bob reached out over uh, email just to say, uh, because I, I expressed concern in our episode recently where we were recording remotely, or you were recording remotely, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just talking about the audio quality. He wrote just to say that the audio quality was great and to keep up the good work. Oh, good. And I uh, really appreciate hearing that from Bob and any of you fine folks who reach out to us on email or social media. Because, I mean, we could say all we want that it sounds fine, but once, like, uh, a third party hears it yes. and can confirm it sounds fine, we never know for sure. So, that, that's like, just, yeah, just sending a little note, just saying that sounds okay, that, that will probably give Tim a lot less stress next time around. All right. Well, the first thing we like to do here on Worldwide Edition is change the channel over to USA. I think it was Channel 17 where I grew up. At least it was for a long time. Anyway, it's time for our... Raw recap. All right. <laughs> Did you remember where it was, uh, where you were? What channel USA was? Uh, no, that that sort of thing just fades from my memory. I say thirty. I, I said seventeen. I think it might have been thirty. No, thirty-seven was Nick at night. Ah, oh, damn. Well, I could. That'd be a real rabbit hole to go down. Anyway, <laughs> over on Raw, Flash Funk defeated the Goon. Diesel defeated Phineas Godwin. Justin Bradshaw defeated Jesse James. And Jake Roberts and Mark Miro defeated Billy Gunn and Triple H. And that all sounds terrible. Yeah. Like, we complain on our Nitro about a bunch of short matches, but our show is a lot more watchable than that one sounds on paper, at Mm -hmm. the very least. Uh, In the ratings roundup, Raw came in with a 2.3, and Nitro beat them with a 3.4 overall, that being a 2.8 in the head-to-head hour, so Mm -hmm. beating them by half a ratings point, and a 3.9 in the unopposed hour. So, uh, pretty good ratings for Nitro, all things considered there, and... Raw really struggling right now. The the Bret Hart return not immediately picking up business. Stone Cold's ascendancy still, you know, they're still languishing. It's it's not uh, it's not an immediate turnaround when those things start getting hot, you know. Yeah, and it's it it's pretty different than like t- today because Steve Austin kind of, he has his Austin 316 moment in June. Yes. And and we're in like December now and it still has not been like full throttle right whereas like nowadays wwe would it's all like full throttle it's all or nothing for every character pretty much yeah well they burn one of the things watching these nitros is just seeing how long they're willing to let a storyline go and we complain sometimes that it's too long and and i think that's a valid complaint Mm -hmm. but it's still like i'd still rather it see stretch over weeks whereas i feel like everything right now either is blown off immediately or is dropped almost immediately You mean in WWE today? Yes, in current WWE. Yeah, or it's cut off to be rehashed at a later time. Right. As you, as like I've seen more than a few kind of comments about like how um, very ordinary like SummerSlam is coming up in a few right. weeks. SummerSlam in t- 2019 and it has a lot of matches that have happened at least like four times. Right. Which is, that just is not compelling. Sure. Well, that brings us to a little segment that we call Observe This. Observe this, brother! This 
This is what we call a rag sheet. All right. Well, Dave, I want to start off with this note. You remember on Nitro that we just reviewed, uh, Kevin Sullivan faced sexy Sean Casey, a.k.a. Casey Sunshine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, A.k.a. sexy Steve Casey. (laughs) Right. Uh, Well, (laughs) uh, apparently what happened was the on the run sheet, they put in Prince Iakea, who remember they've had two different guys use that name, the actual son of King Curtis. Yep. And the guy who will go on to be Prince Iakea. Yeah. Uh, so it, it must be that they thought that he was going to just be brought in as the enhancement guy, but then they didn't do it. And they brought in this Sean Casey instead. Mm-hmm. So that that's why Shivani and Larry Zabisco never said his name because their format was wrong. But yeah. that also means that when Larry Zabisco asked Shivani what his name was, he knew that Shivani didn't know. Right. He was just messing with it. Yes. Yep. <laughs> just, I actually like that when faced with that, like. Um, trolling that Shivani didn't try to come up with anything. He just was like, they never told us. <laughs> they, that was, they were just kind of having that sort of night too because then when we got to the end of the show and the NWO showed up and they didn't realize it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they didn't tell him. Yeah. So Tony was just being like thrown <laughs> things all left and from left field the whole night. Yeah, the Tony Shivani detractors out there really need to consider what he was dealing with in his <laughs> workplace environment. Right. So it's like, we know we know Nitro is a big flagship show, but we like the element of surprise. It, uh, it's like um, that that uh, from Futurama when the element of surprise and Zap Brannigan oh, sends right, all yeah. the army guys down. <laughs> it's it's the surprise is going to the wrong person. <laughs> like the and we talked about this on the last episode where it's like you need to trust the, yes. the announcers yes. be, be able to convey emotion because that's literally what their job is. Yeah, they don't need the element of surprise. And later it will it will really erode the relationship between Heenan and Shivani because a lot of times there were things that Shivani knew that Heenan didn't know. Oh, and Heenan okay. really felt like Shivani hoarded those secrets and like used them as like that like knowledge is power and that Shivani was trying to like, you yeah. know, get himself over by seeming like he knew this stuff where Bobby didn't. Mm-hmm. And whether that's true or not, and I, I wasn't there, but um that was the perception that Heenan had and a big part of by the end of their tenure together. Like they hate each other pretty openly on the show, but that's still a long ways from where we are now. Yeah, we're right? yeah, yeah. They seem to be fine at this point. Raven won the ECW Heavyweight Championship on December seventh, pinning the Sandman at the ECW Arena in a barbed wire match. At the same show, Shane Douglas got in physical altercations with two different fans. Oh, stay safe out there, everybody. <laughs> Oh, oh that, are you suggesting that's not kayfabe? That was legit? Yeah, those were legitimate fights that he oh, got okay. in with people as they were, like, brawling through the crowd, people that got mad at him or whatever, yeah. So everyone had a productive night. <laughs> it sounds like one, like, uh, was it CM Punk, where the fan shoved him hard from behind the head and then CM Punk punched the wrong guy? Do you remember that? I I, I watched a clip from that recently. It was yeah. just, it was a case of a, the fan was trying to get, like, their camera or their sign-up, and they uh-huh. accidentally hit, like, no one intentionally hit him. But even if he had punk, he still punched hit the, the wrong, wrong guy. guy. Yes. What happened with Shane Douglas is he like got in a fight or something with some guy, and then went out there later to get another piece of that guy, and like got the wrong guy the second time. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Promo Azteca's TV show should be launching in January. They've already been taping some episodes. Uh, they are also negotiating with EMLL to do a big show together. So that could be very bad for AAA. Because uh, right now Promo Azteca is eating. Triple A's lunch in terms of like stealing their talent, mm-hmm. and then EMLL had that big um, El Hijo del Santo heel turn, so they are right now like oh, yeah, the right. hottest thing going in Mexico yep. storyline wise. 
So, yeah, things could be pretty dire for AAA there. <laughs> Looks like WCW is right to stick with Conan mm-hmm. and not not with um, Antonio Pena. Uh, over back in ECW, BWO shirts should be on sale soon. Uh, the BWO, uh, of course, is the Blue World Order. Yep. They're, they're satire of the New World Order led by the Blue Meanie. They have added three and a half, who is their play on six. Three and a half? Yep. Okay. <laughs> They've got a guy uh, who is video dealer and ECW business partner, as well as noted alleged pedophile Rob Feinstein. <laughs> that's pro- That's actually the most important part. Is uh, <laughs> let's just point out, like that's what he should be known for. Yes. Yeah. Would I would not bring him up without noting his alleged pedophileness. <laughs> right. Uh. So he sells fan cam videos of ECW house shows. So it's like through a contract yeah. with Heyman. It's it's mm-hmm. it's above board. But yeah, you can go on RF Video. It was a pretty early tape trading site, and he would sell these authorized fan cam. And I think I heard somewhere that he still has the rights to them. Like he can still sell those. He, the WWF owns the trademark and all the TV shows, but he still has like the distribution rights for all those fan cam shows. Yeah, uh, that probably doesn't rank very high yeah. on WWE's like sure. like desirability of like. <laughs> Well, except for if if they ever want to like, and I hopefully they don't, but if they ever wanted to relaunch ECW again, mm-hmm. having any connection out there on the web between their brand and a guy who got caught in like a to catch a predator type situation. Oh, sure. Like that's probably rather yeah, than worried about the money or owning those particular tapes, it's probably just a Google what they call a Google problem. You just don't want people yeah. to Google that and read about this. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And then associate with you. Uh, when did that? Did you have a note as far as what year was that? The uh, the, the to catch predator thing. Yeah, I don't. Um, and I just listened to a great podcast about it. Uh, Trevor Dame on Twitter, who's got the Dave Foley avatar. Yep. Uh, he has a podcast that covers ROH called Through the Years through T H R O H the years. Um, but you can't search by that. It's in another feed. Um, but you can just look at his Twitter at Trevor Dame. Anyway. Uh. He had a great episode because they cover ROH show by show chronologically. Yeah. And they got to the show where this happened. And it was a pretty fascinating thing and and stuff that I never really heard about. I was totally out of wrestling at that point. Even when I got back in, it took a long time before I got a little more familiar with um, whatever you want to call Ring of Honor. Not exactly indie, not exactly major league. Um, But it was pretty fascinating because there was like a lot of. He went away from ROH after that happened and was supposed to not be an owner anymore, but then it turned out that he secretly was still an owner and he Mm. had secretly invested through his friend. And it was just like, it was a big sordid tale that was really fascinating. Uh, So I'd really recommend that through the years episode. But uh, to answer your question, I want to say, I mean, it was like in the 2000s. Okay. Between 2000 and 2010, somewhere in there. Probably more between 2000 and 2005. Okay. Like ROH, I think was started in two thousand three, two thousand four, somewhere in there. And was he? Um, was that the one where like he saw the Catch a Predator guy was at the house and he like bolted? No, so it's actually not the real To Catch a Predator guy. It was like a local news station's version oh, sure. of To Catch a Predator. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he did the usual like, oh, I I thought it was an adult. <laughs> You know, and unfortunately, <laughs> that organization um, that helps police officers do this perverted justice, they do themselves no favors in the terms of like 
their record keeping and like a lot of it isn't directly recorded it's like their transcripts and you're kind of so like I think the legal case against him never really proceeded because there were so many just procedural flaws in this organization they're not a law enforcement operation Mm -hmm. and it's kind of not great for law enforcement to work directly with them and I don't think they do after that uh, to catch a predator kind of died out when that guy there was like an attorney or a city councilman somewhere in Texas who they he got confronted he like escaped and like went back to his house and they had a standoff with police and then he shot himself in his house and I think yeah, they were like want. that's not good I think they were like we need to stop having this be a TV show we yeah. should still get pedophiles mm. <laughs> but this is probably confronting them on this way though very funny much of the time yeah. it's probably not a safe idea <laughs> to keep doing I don't think we mentioned in the last episode we will in the next one um, that WCW is touring Germany right now uh, with okay. some guys that's actually why uh, oh yeah we, we will talk about it next week because Buff Bagwell after turning heel um, he's like nowhere to be found it's because he's in Germany doing some stuff Oh, okay. uh, and the crowds have been terrible. That's my note from the Observer. People in, in Germany, Germany, yes, people yeah. in Germany not coming out to see WCW. Just side note here: something that I learned is that in Germany, um, when it comes to sports, baseball is just like it's almost non doesn't register mm-hmm. as far as popularity is concerned. Yeah. So like, the Minnesota Twins, Max Kepler is like he's not really a name. Sure. Back in in, in his home country, because right. like, they just don't watch it. Right. Okay. So. I just thought it was, it's like, like the whole idea of Max Kepler is just so bizarre. Yeah. Like he shouldn't really exist from where he's from, <laughs> but I just like someone said that the other day and they're, they're like, yeah, he's like not, he's not a big deal. <laughs> hmm. Harlem heat is said to be negotiating with the WWF, which is a pretty interesting note. Obviously, uh, you know, we try to avoid spoilers, but like everyone knows Harlem Heat did not go to the WWF. Booker mm. T would, when WCW would fold, he eventually would. Yeah, um, but it is an interesting what if mm-hmm. to think about Harlem Heat in 96, 97 era, like Nation of Domination. You know they get thrown in there because they're black guys and they can do like an angry black guy yeah, routine. And just off the top of my head, I, I can. I can probably say confidently that WWF tag team wrestling at that point is weak. Yeah, I mean, it's it is weak, but it is highlighted cuz you you know mm. going into 97 that faction warfare shit goes on forever and that yeah. is almost all tags. So if nothing else like there were tag teams which at plenty of other times in WWE there like hasn't been very many. Mm-hmm. Um I do think they're better off with what they do staying in WCW. Certainly Booker would not be at the level that he got to. I oh, don't for think sure. if he had if he had spent his late nineties in the WWF mid card. Like he never would have gotten world championships like he did in WCW with guys like Austin, The Rock, Triple H, Mankind. They're, as good as Booker is, there just would have been no room for him at that point. No, they I mean they would have just been like Vince would have mixed them up with Ahmed Johnson all right. the time. Yes. They would they they would have had no concept of what to do with them. Until, you know, they decide to have, like, the Black Stable. And then they would do right. that for a while. And then they would probably be gone after that. Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawa won the 1996 All-Japan World Tag League Tournament, beating Mitsuharu Misawa and Jun Akiyama. 
and I don't know a ton about 90s uh, All Japan, but I know that a lot of those names are names I see bandied about for greatest wrestler of all time. So mm-hmm. uh, I feel like if we're talking this week, we got to mention it, even if I'm not familiar with it. Anyway, <laughs> in other news, Big Dick Dudley is in jail. Oh, no. I don't know why, but I just, Dave knew that he was in jail. <laughs> I hope he didn't put any other like research into that. He's like, yeah, he's so he's there. <laughs> He'll get out eventually. EMLL had their big year-end show, which culminated in El Hijo del Santo and Dandy in a mask versus hair match, which ended up being a complete bloodbath that was won by Santo. Sweet. Now, is Dandy the same as El Dandy? Yes. Okay. Who are you to doubt El Dandy? Uh, I believe, yeah, this, this section I'm just quoting directly from The Observer. A totally weird situation occurred at an indie show on December 8th in Woodridge, Virginia, when the promoter of the card no-showed and nobody got paid, and they basically told the fans what had happened. Sabu and Rob Van Dam were scheduled to headline, and both simply decided not to work since nobody was getting paid. Stevie Richards, Blue Meanie, Axel Rotten, and the Headbangers took over the show and did a bunch of comedy spots, such as Nick, uh, such as, this is just a weird Dave sentence, so I'm going to, Dave Meltzer, not Dave Yu. Mm. Uh, I'm just going to translate they so the BWO came out and they were parodying Nick Patrick's uh, ref stuff where he's like injured. Uh, they were pretending to do a match between Hogan and Warrior, so they were doing like Hogan and Warrior spots uh-huh. just to amuse the crowd. Uh, at one point, several of the wrestlers were in the ring while an explicit Adam Sandler song was playing, and all the wrestlers were pretending to jack off. Oh, well, good for them. At another point, the wrestlers were doing a pass the hat for money with the fans answering. Qu- uh, with the fans answering questions for a dollar, I assume the fans were giving a dollar and the wrestlers were answering questions. Answering fan questions. <laughs> yes, answering fan questions for a dollar. That makes more sense. When Rotten was asked how he got the scars on his arm, he said that he had cut up a Gillette razor blade, taped it to his hand, and cut up his shoulder while his opponent was hitting him with a baseball bat. Which, okay, so right. kayfabe's dead. <laughs> the gangsters uh, worked, running in, wearing street clothes, and beating up Richards and Meany in 30 seconds. After the match, Richards and Meany turned on each other and did Hogan and Warrior spots again, back and forth on each other. Uh, I was so, just—I was just looking up the show. Wrestling. Oh, sure. It's called Wrestling in Woodbridge, <laughs> which I'm guessing might not have been the actual name of the sure. show. Sure, but it does say the Gangsters defeated Stevie Richards and Blue Meany, <laughs> and also Steve Carino was there. Paul Heyman is working hard on getting a date for ECW's first pay per view. We'll have a lot more to say about that as we continue through the weeks. Uh, Over in Japan, a 24-hour martial arts combat sports channel went live, with the first program being a card promoted by Antonio Inoki that featured some legit martial arts and kickboxing matches, but also some worked wrestling, including Ultimo Dragon in an interpromotional match against Michinoku Pro's crab guy, Grand Naniwa. Hmm. Uh, The guy's got a a crab gimmick. It's very funny. (laughs) Of all people, Mabel was on the show in a match against Koji Katao, the uh, sumo guy we mentioned, because I think he, in 2019, he died recently, mm-hmm. and he had uh, had a famous match where him and John Tenta, like, shot on each other, and it was really bad. Oh, yeah, that's so, right. So, yeah, him, him versus Mabel <laughs> was on that card. Wow. Uh, the channel will be showing some American wrestling, including WCW Pro, some older American stuff, and a Mexican promotion believed to be Conan's promo Azteca. Meltzer says that it has the potential to be a big deal, but that the deck is stacked against the channel because uh, due to zoning laws or some something in Japanese culture or laws that I don't pretend to understand, 
uh, it was cable never really caught on there. And back in 1996, Dave was saying this channel could be a big deal, but it seems like cable's never going to be a big thing over there. Mm-hmm. And here in 2019, from my understanding, cable, though it exists in Japan, it still is not a very big thing. Huh. I, I don't think streaming is all that big of a thing in Japan, but that could be changing. I always, whenever I talk about any of this stuff, I worry someone's going to be like, that guy thinks he's an expert, he's, but he's fucking wrong. And I'm like, yeah. I, I'm just saying my best understanding. I, I don't know very much about current Japanese culture. Uh, the channel, Samurai TV, is still around to this day. Uh, but uh, Meltzer was correct in his prediction that it didn't ru- usher in any kind of big Japanese wrestling boom. Um, and, it, and it didn't make like cable a much bigger deal. Speaking of Japan, I'm, I'm probably going to mispronounce this terribly, but... Uh, Kiyoka Inoue won the WWWA title. Uh, that is the top title in All Japan Women's, which is right now one of the best in-ring, uh, you know, products out there in 1996. Sure. Uh, she won it from the legendary Manami Toyota, uh, the woman who I believe at one point, I don't know if this is still true, but at one point she had more five-star matches from the Wrestling Observer than any other singles wrestler Manami Toyota did. Yeah, um, if you go, the website is samurai-tv.com. Uh, oh, sure. And it's it's all wrestling. Oh, really? Like Interesting. It, it's pro wrestling Noah. It's uh, BJW. It's Stardom. It's pretty much everything. That's cool. Um, can you stream? Can you? Can an American get it? I wonder. Um, uh, I don't know, and I don't. I can't find where you can translate it, so I am not going to find right. out. <laughs> Well, Inoue won uh, the title, ending Manami's year-long reign with the title, which was Toyota's second reign with that title. You can actually find that match very easily on Daily Motion. I did. I watched it. It was about a half hour long. Uh, Inoue won with an inverted Death Valley driver, which was a finisher that she called the Victoria driver, uh, which from all evidence that I could find, this seemed to be the first time the move was used. So she was the uh, in- innovator, the inventor. That move is now commonly known as a burning hammer. A burning hammer? Yes. Uh, What's-his-nuts did it in WWE? Uh, Tyler Rex. And I only remember that because it's kind of similar to the FU. And he was like, he said that Cena told him to stop using it as a finisher because it was too similar. And like, on the one hand, it makes Cena sound kind of like a dick. On the other hand, you're Tyler Rex. Like, maybe just say yes, sir, and find <laughs> a different finisher, and don't go blabbing about it. You know. <laughs> Meltzer has all the numbers for October of 1996, uh, like the business numbers. I'm not going to go through them all, but mm-hmm. suffice it to say, both WWF and WCW were up in October compared to October of 1995. But if you isolate just cable ratings, WWF is down 12.5 percent. And WCW is up 10%. Uh, so we talk a lot in the Attitude Era, the Monday Night Wars, about... Um, I think a lot of the analysis, as we look in hindsight, is about how, regardless of how business was doing, everyone started to perceive cable ratings, head-to-head cable ratings, yeah. as the most important thing. And so it's kind of interesting when you actually look at these 1995 numbers. Both companies, I don't know in total in terms of total revenue or anything, but mm-hmm. in terms of growth, they're very, very similar. But if you just look at cable ratings, WCW is starting to pull ahead. Yeah. And so, like, the idea becomes that WCW is beating them, and that may be true in head-to-head cable ratings, but, like, as an entire business, that is not necessarily the case. Yeah. Um, but I I think Bischoff is sort of an expert in a, uh, at making, like, perception reality, at least for, like, a long enough time until someone says the Emperor has no clothes. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, 
by that point, he's back in Montana or whatever fishing. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, what now? <laughs> I don't know. That's <laughs> Russo's fault. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to a new segment. Dave, will you do me a favor? What's that? Light the torch. Talk about this fucking prick Wade Keller for a second. Uh, so this is a new segment. We've we've had observed this. We've we troll through, and I mean troll more like a you know with a trolling motor, yes. a fishing boat. No, we I troll through the observer each week, and we talk about Dave Meltzer and what he's got to say. And we've we've never really gotten into what's over in the pro wrestling torch, Wade Keller's uh, newsletter, the other big famous wrestling newsletter Mm -hmm. Uh, as we get further in time and i can use the internet wayback machine we might be able to even get to some older message boards and and wrestle news type websites but in 96 i think still most of your legitimate information is coming from Meltzer or wade keller yeah Uh, and as minnesotans we're we're sort of duty bound to include wade keller in our weekly discussions uh before i get into what was in the torch this week i do want to thank uh, Eastman Presser, who composed our worldwide theme song and our closing worldwide theme song and our raw recap theme song. Uh, he did not compose the Light the Torch theme song, but he did help me figure out the ending. I I had, I had made it in GarageBand, um, and I just couldn't quite figure out how to stick the landing, okay. and he came along and, and really made it much, much better. Uh, so my, my hat once again goes off to Eastman Presser. Anyway, here's the news that was... And of course, of course, uh, this should go without saying, but this is the first time we're ever doing it, so I'm just going to say it up front. If something was in both newsletters, I'm not going to mention it two times. Yeah. Um, Some weeks, uh, you know, I'll just... uh, I want to keep the segments somewhat the same, so I might, you know... uh, Whatever. Last night at a house show in Poughkeepsie, Shawn Michaels took exception to fans chanting for Sid. Michaels got in the house mic during his match and said, For all of you fans who want Sid, if I have to carry that stiff through one more match, I'm going to knock his teeth out for real. <laughs> Sid can't work his way out of a paper bag. <laughs> this is your babyface champion in an era where there's like still some semblance of kayfabe. Well, getting he's, on not, the high- <laughs> he's not champion anymore. Oh, yes. Okay, you're top babyface then. Yes. Uh, also, another quote at that same show. As for Bret Hart, who doesn't think I'm a role model... I think I'll shake my ass and do some gyrations. (laughs) He also harassed another fan at ringside saying, Hey, Nehi, this guy was short, apparently. You're the idiot who bought a ticket and Sid wasn't even booked on the card. (laughs) So Sean is doing well. Yeah, Sean is being Sean. And I just just think it's funny because it's like, you know he's talking crap about Sid because Sid's not there to do anything about it. (laughs) Yes. Sid who has a very notorious incident in which he tried to stab a man to death with scissors, <laughs> doesn't seem to be a guy that you would that you would like call out yes. if you knew that he could hear you. <laughs> uh, Jeff Katz, a 17-year-old who was doing some of the 900-line coverage for WCW while Mean Gene was gone, claimed on the hotline that WCW... That that USA gave WWF an ultimatum to raise the ratings or Raw would be moved to midnight on Mondays. <laughs> WWF says there's no truth to that and they are right. considering adding that to their lawsuits. 
<laughs> nice. Yeah, the the hotline has been a big thing, so I'm surprised that they're still getting away with it. They were supposed to be submitting all their scripts and everything. I wonder. Mm-hmm. There just seems to be no oversight of that thing at all. See, because like the whole thing with ratings and everything with with like WWF, uh, I know that they get concerned about it, and like their um, shareholders can get upset about it. Right. But ninety nine percent of the time. The, the the channels that are hosting them have always been happy with those ratings. Right. Yes. You know, USA like came back to get them again. Right. Because they're great for ratings. That's why like Raw will never go down to two hours again. Is because like whatever they're getting for those ratings is great. Yeah. I I think we could say that for a number of years they're getting to the point lately where I think we're starting to see some shift in that, and I would be curious to get a candid like answer out of USA executives right now, if given the, where the ratings are for raw, if they're happy for what they paid to yeah. get it. And, and um, for Fox, who's putting it on broadcast television, mm-hmm. um, because if it fails over on Fox, that's not be every, we're wrestling fans. So we all like look at it through the lens of what does that mean for the WWF or WWE? But if SmackDown fails on Fox, like that's a big black eye for Fox. That's just, they took a gamble and thought wrestling was more mainstream than it was. Yeah. And then it's going to be like, nope, it's still for rubes and children, everybody. You know, like they're <laughs> going to look like they're going to look like big fools. I think um, it's getting really curious. Uh, I, I I hope that they write the ship. I really would love, especially as AEW comes in, I would love two promotions that I want to watch who have easily accessible weekly television shows. I I'm, And just like in 2019, I think it'll be interesting to see if like fans care enough to go on to like a TNT rather right. than oh this is not something you can stream or download or, yeah. or use it through another form of media. Um, I mean, because I was talking with my brother about how I think AEW is gonna do, and I I I can say for sure their first episode will be like a ridiculous rating. Sure, I believe, but it'll be interesting to see if the if like they can keep people coming to TNT. Yeah. I mean, I think the interesting thing for me is going to be attendance at their events, um, both if they decide to do live shows and their television. um, I don't want taping would be wrong because they're broadcasting live, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Both their televised events and their house shows. uh, That's where I think it could be a real sticky issue because right now, People like it so much that you and I flew to Las Vegas. You and I drove to Chicago. Yeah. Um, so I think when it's like a weekly thing, I'm not um, I'm not flying to Washington, D.C., and I'm not mm. going to fly to Charlotte or what. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, hopefully they come to Minneapolis and I'll go see that. Mm-hmm. Maybe if they were in like a, a Green Bay or Milwaukee and it lined up with a vacation weekend, maybe I'd go. Or Chicago. Or Chicago, sure. Yeah. Um, but I I asked you, this was months ago now, but I asked you over text if you thought they'll still be there in five years. And I think you were pretty optimistic that they would be. I think I'm... Yeah, I think, I think there's just, there's too much investment behind it yeah. for it to fail that quickly. I'm a lot more cynical. I certainly want them to succeed. I've, I've gone to their shows and I cheer for them and I will watch their product. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... Especially as we've seen a couple shows since Double or Nothing, the Fighter Fest and the Fight for the Fallen, 
there's some things that really, and I'm not going to go into it right now. We're not an AW podcast, but there's just a lot of things there that I, I think there's, and there's plenty of time for them to take care of these issues. Yeah. Plenty of time. Um, but there, it's not all perfect. It's, it's not all yeah. the, the high of watching a double or nothing or an all out, um, or an all in. Yeah. I, I think for the most part, what I've heard as like a big concern is that it doesn't seem like they really know how to book people that don't already have a following. Right. There's that. I think the tone is all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they need to work on that. Wrestling's a variety show. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't think everything needs to feel the same necessarily, but it veers so wildly that I feel like you never get a handle on what is the identity of this organization. Yeah. And I think I think the comedy stuff needs to stay off of the when they have a TV show. We haven't seen nobody has seen the TV show, so nobody can say what their show is like. Yep. I hope that it is not like being the elite. I hope being the elite stays its own thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that their humor uh, is mass um, marketable. I guess I, I don't think it has mass appeal. Mass appeal. I yeah. think it appeals to a niche audience, and that's great. Mm-hmm. And that's like, hey, we appeal to a much smaller niche audience, and there's value in appealing to a niche audience. I don't think that's going to get millions of people on TNT to watch their like that thing they do where they have the pointing fingers doing like yeah i'm talking like this like people are gonna tune out in droves if that's or the librarians yeah i feel like that when it comes to their humor they know how to write humor for themselves yes but not for anyone else yes Um, i did like when they (laughs) they had a um it was the first being the elite after fighter fest and there were like complaints about the librarians and, and, and just a few other elements of the production. And being the elite started with a like close up of Matt Jackson's notebook. Yeah. And he had like librarians question mark. And if, and if, or he had like librarians, a few other bullet points. And then one of them just said more comedy. And it was like triple underlined with like eight question marks. Yeah. And I loved like I do like their humor. I like that meta humor of being like. Yeah. Leaning into the th- like they're very aware of what people are saying and, and they're able to react to that. Um, so we'll see. Uh, a lot of this probably will get cut because I don't want to go down a half hour AEW rabbit hole. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I think just for my like sort of final comment about it. And I think that this is from when we knew that AEW was going to be a thing. Yeah. It's hard to judge it until they start doing weekly shows. Yes, that's true. Um, Cause yep. I think generally, I feel like the shows have been better the longer time they've had to yeah. book them. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they handle like weekly booking. But, uh, you know, there's only been three, four shows yeah. now if you count, count all in. Right. Um, so it's really hard. It's such a small sample size. Yeah. And it's not even like the regular product because the regular product is going to be the weekly right. TV show. And that's going to be drastically different than a pay-per-view. It'll be interesting in five years when you and I are around – April of 97 in our coverage. Yes. To see <laughs> right. how AEW is doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're, I like your optimism. <laughs> uh, despite all the hints that uh, Mean Gene has been laying on TV, that if you call the hotline, he's going to tell you about Mr. Perfect joining WCW. Uh-huh. If you actually call the hotline, the names that he is currently mentioning are ECW's Raven and Kimona Wanalea. Oh, to potentially. Join WCW. Oh, okay. Uh, From what I understand, Kimona is no longer with ECW and probably is coming to WCW. Uh, Meltzer, no, Wade Keller, excuse me, at this point is says that there's nothing to the Raven rumors 
Of course, Raven does show up eventually, yeah. but who's to say that that's they were talking in this point ninety six or not? I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, that seems like something where it's like someone overheard that like Bischoff realized that his contract might be coming up, right? And it's like, well, I should at least give him a call. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Mean Gene the hotline. It's scummy as hell. Yeah. <laughs> David Sammartino, the son of Bruno, is negotiating with WCW. The last major league wrestling that he did was with All Japan in 1990. Uh, he indeed has a dark match before the tapings of this week's Saturday night and is said to look pretty good. Spoiler alert, he will show up briefly. I don't remember if we see him on Nitro, but he his tryout is successful. He, he briefly mm-hmm. connects with WCW here for a little bit. And he wrestled at WrestleMania 1, correct? I don't remember. I don't know much about the, the Carter wrestling. I game. felt like they. I feel like that he wrestled another like second generation that was also not hmm. great. Hmm. hmm. Big if true. <laughs> All WCW sources are saying that Bischoff's decision to join the NWO was finalized just a few days before that Nitro aired. So this is going back a few weeks. I just thought this was interesting. Mm-hmm. It's only a few days before he turned heel. Uh, that that was it was decided. But Bischoff had the idea in the back of his mind for months. There is some locker room snickering going on that Bischoff is becoming a mark for his own character and following (laughs) into the same trap that others in power positions in wrestling have often done, booking himself as the center of attention. His current role in the NWO has some baffled since he's essentially taking over what was originally supposed to be the role of Ted DiBiase. Uh, I'm going to say at this point, I, I love the Bischoff character. I think it's great. Yep. I don't think he's been made the focus of attention too much. Um, I do understand that, like, yeah, you brought in DiBiase to be the mouthpiece, and now Bischoff is really the mouthpiece. Yeah. DiBiase, it does seem like, ever since they brought him in, it was like, okay, here's the money backing. So it was like it was like plugging a logic hole, but then they were like, oh, now he's got this guy. What do we do with him exactly? Because <laughs> yeah. he, like, doesn't physically get involved ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I could see the I, I do understand people be like uh, wasn't this what B- DiBiase is supposed to do however Bischoff is better at it than DiBiase would have been so I don't give a shit yeah and um, and to be fair with like a turn like Eric Bischoff it makes sense for him to be an important part of yeah. this story too so yeah and they have acknowledged that he's the executive vice president and the head of the end yeah he is going to be a big part of the story it just yeah. it, it flows um by the way david san martino did wrestle at wrestlemania um he didn't wrestle a second generation star but okay. he wrestled brutus beefcake oh god that match is 12 minutes <laughs> oh god and i feel like even as a kid i knew to skip that one <laughs> uh the reason the last half of the world war three battle royal seems so rushed is because referee randy anderson's earpiece wasn't working <laughs> and therefore he couldn't get time cues from the back Whoops. so they they panicked and rushed the final half of the Battle Royal in case they were running short on time because they didn't know. And I, I wish I had this note back when we actually recorded our episode for that mm-hmm. because it really was a long time of no eliminations. And then they all of a sudden went into elimination overdrive mode. Mm-hmm. So this, whether this is explicitly true down 100% or not, it feels very true if you watch that show. It makes perfect sense given the pacing of the Battle Royal. So I, I wonder if you're someone that's sitting because I know I remember the way that the, the 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 seats and everything were that there are some of those like seats that were at the corners of the ring yeah that were really really close to the action mm-hmm. I wonder if like if you're sitting there you could just hear the referees like calling out that's like a good question. How, how else how if there's that many wrestlers in the ring 
you feel like they have to like kind of shout in order to get those eliminations going. I I mean, I, I would have just assumed that like the wrestlers knew who they had to eliminate and just had to, you know, make educated guesses as far as like the timing is concerned. But I mean, now that I think of it, it's like, you probably don't want them to be figuring out like the time constraints of a wrestling match. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. In our Saturday night results, Jericho, Chris Jericho defeated Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. The Amazing French Canadians defeated Scott and Steve Armstrong. Rick Steiner defeated Bunkhouse Buck. <laughs> Kevin Sullivan did defeat Prince Iakea. So. Finally. <laughs> or which one? Is this the regular one? I don't know. No idea. It does Who cares? Jeff Jarrett defeated something called John Blitz. <laughs> the Faces of Fear defeated High Voltage. Marcus Alexander Bagwell defeated Pistol Pezwatli. That was on the NWO Saturday Night segment. Uh, I believe I sent you this like weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, did you end up watching it? I watched it. I wasn't sure why you wanted me to watch it. I just because we <laughs> we talk about these NWO Saturday. They're the most significant things going on Saturday night. Yeah. Um, and because Buff wasn't on Nitro a week after joining the NWO, I just this is like our first real look at him in a match as a heel. It is kind of funny. He comes out and they do a bit where he is defending the U.S. heavyweight title, which, of course, is currently vacant. Um, but the yeah. giant possesses the belt. So the giant loans him the belt for the match and he defends it against Pistol Pez Watley. Yeah. Uh, who has been in a Saturday night segment before because they, they say that he is the only guy dumb enough to like go against the NWO twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted you to watch it just so you'd have some idea of what these NWO Saturday night segments are like. That's literally the only reason. Yeah, I I thought it was interesting. If anyone out, anyone listening to this ends up watching it, uh, just because they they experiment with different camera angles. Yeah, it is. It's a different way of shooting wrestling. Um, and you, you do know, wonder if I, they had gone full bore with an NWO Nitro, how much stuff like that would they have been doing? We will never really know. And now that you mention it, I wonder if like some of the the uh, their ideas was influenced by that fan cam stuff that was going on oh, in ECW. Yeah, because there was because some of it. They would kind of they wanted to give like that appearance of camcorder, right. um, and that even before we because we haven't really gone down the full road yet of six with his camcorder, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I, that's the thing that I that that I took away from it was like it was like oh like they're doing different things because my initial guess would have been it's like it would they would have like the black and white and yeah. they have the NWO sounds but it would be shot the same way. Um, but the fact that like it was different, it made it interesting for sure. Yeah. Um, even yeah. though the match was just god awful, it's also funny how obvious it is that they just shoot it before Nitro. Yeah. Because everything's set up, but there's no crowd, and there's just like a few guys from the NWO just sitting and like six is sitting in the seats out there. Yeah, but they they, they make they try to make you think that it was on Saturday night. I or did they or no they they're pretty open I mean they don't make you they never mention that it's like before Nitro but it's just you can see the stage right there yeah I, they call it NWO Saturday Night but I don't think they they I I don't feel like they're fooling you they're just like this is from an undisclosed location somewhere but like right. you're like no it's just Nitro there's just nobody there yet <laughs> like they're taking over part of Saturday Night but they're not gonna do like the Saturday Night travel schedule right <laughs> which also means if it was filmed before Nitro Buff would have filmed that before his heel turn. What? Or he did it because he because he wasn't there the next week because he was in Germany. So yeah, it must have it must have filmed two weeks ago uh, before his heel turn. That's kind of funny. That's fucked up. 
<laughs> Must have been a closed set that day, I guess. Uh, also, DDP defeated uh, David Squire David Taylor. I couldn't think of his honorific there for a second. And in the main event, Arn Anderson and Lord Steven Regal went to a 10-minute time limit draw. I would have loved to watch that. My I had all of 1996's uh, Saturday Nights. However, for some reason, like 40% of them don't play. Oh. I don't know if it's an f- extension problem or, or what's going on, but this, was this happens to be one that I yeah. cannot watch, unfortunately. Uh, so that concludes our Saturday Night Report. We like to close on Worldwide by talking about something that excites us going on in wrestling right now. Um, What do I want to say? Uh, I met Sting at uh, Fortune Bania 2 up oh, in yeah. Tower, Minnesota. I drove mm-hmm. up there. I... Uh, uh, first, I got in line, and uh, I was the first one in line for Sonny Ono and the Ultimo Dragon. Uh, Sonny Ono, nice guy, um, chatty. Like we didn't have like an extensive conversation about yeah. personal topics, but we exchanged some pleasantries and small talk. Uh, I later found out it was his birthday. If I'd have known, I would have wished him a happy birthday. But uh, Ultimo Dragon, very polite, doesn't seem to speak a ton of English, mm-hmm. or at least dummies up and doesn't feel like speaking a ton of English. I feel like it's a second one more. Wouldn't so. blame him either way. <laughs> right. Uh, so, you know, but he was very polite and uh, got their signatures on more uh, of the prints that I get done by uh, Michael Heister. Heisty, as, yep. he, as he is known. Uh, and I, yeah, so the other one I got was Sting. Uh, I actually got two Sting autographs, both on a classic surfer Sting where he's wearing like an American flag jacket from, uh, I believe, from a great American bash in like 92 or 93. And then on a uh, crow sting, standing on a turnbuckle, pointing a bat at the NWO threesome. Uh, so, yeah, I was uh, sting, uh, not rude at all or giving off like an impression that you want to be there, but certainly seemed like a guy n- in my limited interaction with him, not no. very comfortable talking to strangers. Mm-hmm. It was like a hello, sign this. Thank you handshake yeah like none of it felt rude or put off it was just like oh i don't think he likes people very much or or maybe it's just not as natural he doesn't have a knack for like conversation yeah I mean, he could be a guy much more comfortable screaming a promo in front of twenty thousand people than talking one-on-one uh maybe it was a bad morning maybe uh, maybe my fat sweaty self rolling up to him with a macho man t-shirt just put him <laughs> off I, I don't know who knows uh so nothing against the singer at all it was it was not that he but it was just was not a memorable interaction uh, i was talking about this with my wife um because Hulk Hogan is going to be in Chicago this weekend. Uh, yes, he's a racist hot dog. Um, but I still would like his autograph <laughs> just to complete my, my WCW set. There is, was, a, there is the pause. <laughs> uh, I was telling my wife, like, maybe I, I could, if I know plenty of people in Chicago, maybe I could send this to a local Walgreens to get printed. Somebody could pick it up, go get Hogan's autograph for me. She's like, well, don't you want to meet him? And I was like, no, I don't, especially with Hogan. I don't want to yeah. like pretend that I think he's a good person. I just want him to sign this thing I can have in a frame with all my other things. Uh-huh. Um, but I, in general, I don't really... It's not the interaction with the person I'm looking for. Like I've become a Pokemon hunter with these autographs. Like right. I got to catch them all. Mm-hmm. I don't really care. Like when we went to um, Starcast, the first one, we had to split up at one point and you had to go get Raven's autograph for me because I was just wasn't going to be getting any. Yeah. And I've got nothing against... Ra- it just... I don't need to meeting them is not special for me most of the time. There's a, probably a few exceptions to that. 
Um, and I'm just such a, like an awkward person that normally I leave the meeting feeling bad about myself in some way. Right. So like, honestly, uh, uh, something with sting where you just give him something and he signs it and you just fuck off. Like mm-hmm. I prefer that. Yeah. <laughs> I prefer that limited interaction, less time for me to screw up somehow. Yeah. Then I'm like, I'm pretty much the opposite. I like the, I like the interaction. I like, yeah. I like having that, br- the, that brief moment where it's like this larger in life character is a human being and right it's like, right or and and like the little things where it's like oh they're as tall as i am sure or yeah they're not like they're not like the larger in life person or right. or maybe someone is a lot friendlier or not as friendly as you would think like yeah i i i know i've met joey ryan twice and both times it seems like nice guy but is just not the most comfortable doesn't mm. doesn't come off as like a guy that's like hey how are you doing like mm-hmm Striking up conversation. He's a little more professional than I think yeah. you might think. Yeah. I'm not trying to say this in a negative way, yeah, yeah, but yeah, just yeah, like yeah. he is such a larger in life character. Right. You just you assume he's gonna be like that. And then he's like, Oh hey, how's it going? Like, right. Nice meeting you, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, so where was I what was I gonna say? Interactions special. The one thing I do like um is because I get so excited for uh, and I probably even more excited than him for uh, the artist who makes all these prints for me. Yeah. Um, I really like the times and there's been many of them where the guy's like, this is cool. What is this? Because they sign the same eight by tens. They sign the same mm-hmm. action figures. You know, um, I've got a uh, video I, I, I tweeted a long time ago. By now, this is when we were in Vegas of Bret Hart uh, calling me back to his table because he wanted to look at the picture of him that I had signed, had him sign again, yeah. and he wanted to take a picture of it with his phone. Yeah, it's like how cool is that that and I get to then send that to Michael Heister and be like, "Look at this, Bret Hart like specifically wanted me to come back," and and he not only uh, is like a wrestler who we all you know we all like, uh, but he also is an artist. He's, yeah, he's like a good artist, and mm-hmm. uh, same with Jerry Lawler who commented. Uh, when I had him sign the one of, of him pile driving Andy Kaufman. Um, that, that's where, and that's when Jim Ross was kind of like, I, I don't know what I'm looking at here very yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jim Ross was pissed uh, that he was wearing his glasses in his, because it was like, because uh, they're these kind of impression-y, impression They're like I, That's not the right word, but. They're kind of silhouettes. Silhouettes is, is, I mean, but like color, not black and white like a silhouette. Yeah. But, um, but like they don't have like facial features. They don't mm-hmm. have like a mouth and a nose and eyes. And so I think he was confused that he had no face but still had glasses. Yeah. <laughs> Which I was like, that looks like, I, I don't know. Looking at it, I get it. It doesn't seem like outrageous to me, but I thought mm. it was funny. Jim Ross was a guy who, um, bless his heart, he he was not very friendly at all. He did not right. basically acknowledge me whatsoever. He only kind of muttered complaints about what he was signing to Lawler while I was there. Right. Lawler was much more polite and nice both times that I've interacted with him. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, what excites you in wrestling this week, Dave? Uh, well, I'm excited for whatever the wrestling show is tomorrow. I'm not quite sure. I, I know Orange Cassidy's going to be there. You and I are going to First Wrestling. It is First Wrestling. Okay. Yes, they are the local promotion we've mentioned uh, probably a lot of times by now who do the Wrestlepalooza shows twice a year. Um, but they also, so besides Wrestlepalooza, they do a handful of shows throughout the year, maybe probably no more than eight mm-hmm. at the Uptown VFW that kind of continue their storylines and their feuds. They even have a VFW championship. Yep. Um, and yeah, that championship was held by Darren Corbin, who is like my absolute favorite local heel. He's just the best. 
uh, but he lost that to Orange Cassidy recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Orange Cassidy defended it at the recent Wrestlepalooza, but who against? I can't it was against Joey Ryan. Yes, it was it, against Joey Ryan, and then Darren Corbin came and interfered, and they both like fucked him up, and it was yeah. it was very fun. Um, yeah, so I and I really want to get the that Orange Cassidy black and white shirt that's just a picture of himself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that um I've there was like some someone was retweeting of like how someone was confused about the listing of the shirt. Yeah. On um pro wrestling tees because yeah, yeah. it looked like it was just like a standard fill in. It's like yeah. I don't get this. Is it is it just a picture <laughs> of him on his shirt? Like what's going on? Um, but he's he's like um kind of in for myself kind of like becoming more and more of like a personal favorite. Yeah. I like I, I just like the like the unique personalities that can also wrestle. Right. You know, he he like there's just similarities between him and Joey Ryan as far as being like these very particular um personalities or acts, if you will. Yeah. But they, but they can also wrestle. It's not just like a um what am I thinking? I I don't know what the word I'm thinking it's of. It's not just comedy. Right, yeah, yeah, they can have a wrestling match, and so I'm excited to see him wrestle. And you know, I've I, I've heard I know of Darren Corbin and Airwolf and a lot of other guys that show up for these shows. So right. it it it's also it'll be fun because like I don't have any expectations because I didn't remember the show until yesterday. Oh sure, and I can't find any sort of I can't find any information as far as who else is going to be there. Yeah, First Wrestling does not announce their cards. Um, they announce a lot of the talent that will be there. Yeah. Um, but they do not announce their cards. And generally I like that. I think that's fun. As long as like, I know a few, you know, I know I'm getting art cannon. I know I'm getting Darren Corbin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're probably getting Airwolf, who has been showing up a lot on MLW now. So he's starting to make a little name for himself. Yeah. Um, and then there's another guy whose name I can never remember, but he is another mask wrestler who graduated from the Academy, which is uh, Sean Devari, mm-hmm. uh, his wrestling school. It's like him, Ken Anderson, Molly Holly, and I think some other people that run it. I can't remember all yeah. who. I think Jerry Lynn does some stuff there. Anyway, yeah, um, this other guy who teams with Airwolf a lot, um, I actually watched them team against uh, the Lucha Brothers recently, which was really fun. Um, and uh, and it was a three-way. It was also against All Ego Ethan Page and his his partner who I can't remember and they're an impact anyway it was a fun match that's all I'm trying but oh, anyway oh uh, this the, Josh Alexander yes yes yeah. that's right um, the point is this other guy who's masked who graduated from the academy is like 17 or 18 years old and it's just like he's he's good and you're just like wow he's so young and it's exciting to see where he can go from here um, so yeah we could very well see both of them tomorrow at uh, the VFW uh, Airwolf by the way is only 19 Yes, yeah, he's only a couple years older. He was the first uh, graduate of the academy, I think. Um, uh, and I, I watched him get his diploma at a uh, WrestlePalooza. It was very, it was so a cool moment. Uh, Angel Dorado. Angel Dorado, that is him. Yes. And they, they are the Flip Brothers. The Flip Brothers, yes. Nice. They're they're a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so hopefully they'll be on the card tomorrow. I'd be surprised if at least one of them wasn't. I guess that is uh, going to do it. We will uh, be right back here soon. Where the big boys play. We're going to watch the December 9th, 1996 Nitro. If you want to watch that before, it should be out in about a week or two. Uh, spoiler alert, I believe we're going to have a frequently mentioned fan of the show and podcaster in his own right, Drewcifer. Uh, also known oh, as Drew, a.k.a. Andy. I'm not sure which of his many names he's going to employ 
on our show, but uh, probably Trucifer. Yeah, the, thing. the host of the Road Home from Wrestling mm-hmm. uh, is going to be right here where the big boys play. Twenty years of Nitro. 